Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Philip Lee, one of Ireland's fastest growing corporate law firms and expert advisors at the heart of the Dublin and London startup, fintech, and crypto communities. Just a heads up before we dive in, we'll be moving to a monthly release for the summer instead of weekly. This is time to recharge after a few months of running at full speed. We'll check in in early August with an episode, and then we'll return to the regular weekly cadence come September. As for this week, Owen Fitzgerald and I recap Techstars' first ever demo day in Dublin as part of the Launchable Web3 Techstars Accelerator. Then we wrap up in our hats and mittens for a look at Crypto Winter with FTX, BlockFi, and Voyager, with a similar story at hand for the likes of Klarna and their down round. We also look at those continuing to build in the face of the overall financial downturn, with Revolut's new card reader and Algorand bringing Napster back to life. Then we hit on some of the highlights of the recently agreed Mika or Markets and Crypto Assets regulation in the EU, before closing with a riff on open banking and the crossover from embedded finance into crypto and digital assets. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. Owen, we're back on at night. Peace. It's been a while. I know. It's been two months since my last confession. No, it's been two months since. <laughs> That's what it um, feels like. <laughs> I know, I know. Since we've been have we've done an episode just you and me. You did a, a few of the, the tech stars yeah. ones we did. Yeah. But yeah, no, good to good to be chatting. It was good to see you in person on Thursday night. I know it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah the, tech stars and the event. Oh, it's brilliant, and the and the teams. I couldn't believe how far they'd come after the 13 weeks. Yeah, that's a point. The acceleration, right? So yeah. this is the Launchpool Web3 Techstars Accelerator. It's the first Techstars program in Ireland, the first chain agnostic program for Techstars, and the very first Techstars demo day in Ireland, which is kind of, you know, expected. I had to come up with three first, though, right? Yeah. Of course, if there's a first Techstars program in Ireland, it's going to be the first Techstars demo day in Ireland, unless you take a, a demo day on the road. But it was awesome to do this at the Button Factory, as you know, which is an awesome music venue. I saw Airborne Toxic event play there a few years ago. And just being up on stage there with the lights, with the smoke, the fake smoke, whatever it is, <laughs> it was incredible. And I absolutely enjoyed it. And it is by far the single most joyful moment of my career in seeing each yep. of those nine founders get up there and pitch their hearts out and just do so well. It was an awesome feeling for them. And someone said to me afterwards, Pete, you must feel great about this. And I'm like, I do, but you know what? I'll feel a lot better when the first investor turns up and writes that first check for one of those nine. Yep. A couple of them are already well on their way to funding. But, you know, coming out of this, obviously, that's going to be a big benchmark of success, right? So, oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, it's, I, it, 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 awesome experience. Awesome experience. I, re I remember texting you after the first Mentor Madness Day. And specifically about one or two of the companies and saying I genuinely spent half an hour with them and had no clue what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet, obviously, I was there with my wife, Kira, and she was there to speak to one or two of the companies specifically. And but like she totally got it. You know, you're sitting there listening to the, the presentations completely could understand not being someone kind of fairly up to speed on Web3 and blockchain, but completely understood what each company was doing, what they were offering and the ins and outs of it. Like, so, you know. To someone not not aware of what's going on in that space, you know, it just showed how far they'd come from when I'd met them. Yeah. So a testament to the program. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was all about. It was about making Web3 more accessible and everyone needs to tell a story. Yep. And at the very beginning, what they're pitching is a product, not a vision. Yep. They're pitching something that they've figured out that they think that they can, they've wrapped some technology around and saying, we can deliver X. 
but it's really about, and I went through this so many times because we pro we did 10 pitch practice sessions across yeah. the last couple of weeks of the program. And then they did, the founders would do their own practice with each other. That was one of the best things about this program was seeing how the founders all came together as a group, as a unit, and we're just friends yeah. and relying on each other and helping each other. But going through all those pitch practice sessions and getting those reps in was critical. And I kept score every single time. What's your hook? What's your problem? What's your solution? What's your market? What's your business model? What's your traction? What's your team? What's your vision? Right? Yeah. Those eight things. And kept score in my little notebook the whole time and just saw them all come along. And you, they need to be able to not just pitch their business, but pitch it in their own narrative. So many of them wrote scripts that then they're like, this isn't me talking. Yeah. yeah. Right. It was somebody else and the words that they thought they should be saying. And then when they all got into their own story and told it in their own words, that's where it just went through the roof. So it was great to see them all come along so far. You know, like I said, really, really proud of all of them. Must be like and the best father. thing about this, best thing about this is that um, this is for life. Yeah. And so it'll continue. Obviously, the 13 week program is over, but now I'm, you know, I, I'm invested. <laughs> so yeah. this is, you know, I'm going to be following up with each one of them on a regular basis and, you know, just being as helpful as I can. And, That's you know, cool. with my, my partner in crime, Hugh McGurr from the program, you know, him doing that, you know, with me is just going to be, it's going to be awesome. So shout out to Hugh. He was incredible throughout the yeah, whole program. Absolutely. He made this happen. But a team was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fantastic team. Hannah Dobson, Paula Palermo, Sari Asdi, Leslie Winston are, are experts and residents with Dave Cunningham. Big shout out to Dave. He, he knows where he is. He knows who he is. Dave out there in Barna. And then Andrew Tizali from Philip Lee and Mary Hennessy from Philip Lee, along with Paul Smith, our coach in residence, who was just amazing. And then Tim Boss, who was our CTO in residence. And then with Laura Walsh, the CEO of Gamify, part of the Alphabet Group, along with Liam Robertson, Shane McQuillan, who lobbied so hard to get this program to Ireland. You know, I could go on and on and naming all the people, yeah. all the mentors, Jesus, Christmas. <laughs> a lot. They were yeah. fantastic, including yourself, Mr. Thank Owen you. Fitzgerald. And yeah. it was just seeing how people just really embodied Give First, you yeah. know? So, but you know, some, some of the takeaways for me is, like I said, get, getting your reps in and just getting out there and telling your story and pitching it to whoever will listen. You know, going through and pitching it to, to 90 plus mentors over the course of those three, four weeks of Mentor Madness, that's where it just all begins, all that magic begins. And when you're pitching to really, really smart people like yourself, rather than just randomers, that's where it's like, okay, well, that doesn't work. Yep. You know, or I don't get that, or what are you talking about? And that's where they got to go back to work, right? Yep. And, and figure it out. The other thing, this is not an easy program. You know, there are companies out there that just look, say, well, let's go from one accelerator to the next. But th this one isn't easy. You got to give full commitment or you don't get much out of it. And alongside that, there's no silver platter here. Put this wonderful mentor group in front of you in this network. But if you don't use it, it's not worth anything. Yeah. Right. So you got to you got to just run after every single opportunity. So, you know, it was a fantastic experience to go through myself. And I'm really looking forward to doing the next one because of all the lessons learned the first time around. And it's yeah. just going to make it that much better the second time around. And how um, soon does the next one follow? Applications will open in September. Oh, and then we've north. got yeah. and then 13th of March, 2023. Cool. So. We'll have all the founders in Ireland for the first two weeks of the program in Dublin, just like we did this time. 
except the first Friday of the program will be St. Patrick's Day. Oh, nice. So <laughs> that's going to be interesting. But, uh, you know, just on, on the investor side of all this, Owen, what was really interesting was just with all the investors that we engage with throughout the program, but really in the last month of the program to get them all interested in Demo Day and whether that was a live stream or turning up in person in, at the Button Factory, was seeing how the fintech investors are very much interested in DeFi. Yep. And those forward-thinking fintech investors, or even just fintech investors in general, are really looking at DeFi. And they want to learn more, and they're making bets, and they're, they're making investments. Those that had been looking at consumer, been looking at media, they're now looking at those that are bringing the sports, the gaming, the metaverse yep. projects to life, right? And talking to a number of those VCs who are really interested in the gaming, the sports, and metaverse ones. And then on those VCs that were investing in marketplace, they're really excited about the creator economy ones. Yep. And it's really interesting in seeing how the mindsets are shifting is that Web3 as a segment is becoming less and less of a thing already, dare I say. I know, I can't say that. Web3 isn't really a segment. It's, and, and the way that we're classifying all of these, all nine of these projects is that, okay, you are gaming first. You are music first. You are entertainment. Yep. You are, you know, financial services, fintech. And then, great, we'll grab the tag for crypto or blockchain or Web3, whatever you want to call it, and put that on it as well. Because you want to, you know, you want to get both kinds of investors in there. But it's really about bringing these real world projects to life. And so. you know what, that, that piece is a key bit, you know, m making that kind of clear, because like I said, I remember meeting some of them and, you know, we talk about this sort of stuff a lot and I read about it a lot, but I'm not as far down the Web3 tunnel as most people would be. So like they did a great job of bringing it back towards real the real world. Whereas I think when I first met a lot of them, it was, you know, it was all on Web3 and crypto and blockchain. And we were trying to see, well, you know, where, where does this fit and what does this look like? And is this, you know, does this make, even make sense? Does this need to be a product? You know, is there not something already out there? So I think like what kind of stood out for me was the fact that they were able to bring all of it into the kind of real world and into the almost, you know, they, they did a great job of showing how it relates to the kind of web 2.0 world, which I think would help a lot of investors to kind of come, come to terms with the stuff better. Yep. Absolutely. Coming to terms with it is one thing, but then an investor having the ability to be able to sort out the weed from the chaff when it comes to those that are building economies, not just yeah. companies. And that's one of the key things here. But in reality, in order for you to take the position of, hey, I'm building an economy, I'm not building a company, you need to be fully decentralized. And no one can be fully decentralized from the start unless you're Bitcoin, right? That is the only truly, really decentralized project. Well, you can look at MakerDAO, that's become truly decentralized over the years, but you know, it's hard to start out as truly decentralized. So you need to start out with an MVP, just yeah. like any other startup. And you need to get something live and get it out there. And you need to get it, to, you need it something recognizable in people's hands. And then over time, if you decentralize and whoever built the network to begin with just becomes a user of the network they built rather than the owner and operator, well, that is when you become truly decentralized. But that's going to take time. That will take time. And how, I know because we're about to move on to that topic, but the timing wasn't ideal, obviously, in terms of, what are they calling it? Crypto, cryptopolis or is it? Yeah, or yeah, I was calling it. The... And pretty much everything crashing down from all around you guys just coming to the end and coming near demo day. 
uh, yeah, in, in well, the crypto like they, world. Like they say about the weather in Ireland, there's no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. So <laughs> as we head into crypto winter, are you prepared to weather the storm? Yeah. Right. So yeah, and a, a storm is underway. And the, you know, what started with, well, you could call any starting point you want, but the one that I'm focusing on is Terra Luna. Yeah. And what happened with, call it a trade, call it an attack, depending upon how you want to look at this. But, you know, there were reserves backing UST or, or the Terra stablecoin in Bitcoin and in Ethereum. And when there were a bunch of withdrawals, those need to be sold. And we got that much of a big balance and volume of Bitcoin and Ethereum, these major cryptocurrencies out there being held as reserves. They got to yeah. go. And that's downward pressure on price. And yesterday, obviously down below 20,000 again. So for Bitcoin, which is the the, the bellwether, but it's, it's a lot harder to finance a crypto project when Bitcoin is at 20,000 versus when it's at 60 or 70,000. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we're, we're, we are in the bear market. Everyone's saying build the bear, right? Build the dip that those that come out of this will be the best positioned. And we've got, there was a comment at NFT NYC conference where someone said there was so much dead wood on the trees. We just needed a big, big storm to come and blow 95% yeah. of it off. Yeah. Sounds like it. You know, it just so, it actually shows what from the outside it shows how interconnected everything was, and which is not necessarily what a good thing. Totally. It just so Voyager, like a domino effect. Everything started falling. Yep. So Voyager, one of the funds that is you know entering into liquidation now, sixty percent of their loan book was in Three Arrows Capital, which yep. just went under into liquidation last week. So yep. all of this interconnected stuff smells and tastes a little bit like you know, Lehman Brothers to AIG with credit default swaps and all this other stuff. You know, the difference is that you can trace all this and you could see all this. So it should have been, not that it was preventable, but that you can move from EtherScan to BlockScan to Polygon Scan to whatever and be able to see all of this in real time and see these assets moving around. You need to know what the addresses are, but, you know, this stuff is traceable and more traceable than these opaque credit default swaps where yeah. everything was just me being moved around from one lender to the next, you know, but I'd say the biggest, you know, one of the big signs of what's going on right now, FTX are stepping in to play JP Morgan, yeah. right? It was back on Friday and this was in CNBC that it was announced that FTX closed in on a deal to buy BlockFi, the embattled crypto lender for $25 million in a fire sale. Now that turned out to be false. Right. It wasn't actually 25 million. And I think it was just Monday it was announced that it's actually an option to buy it that FTX now have to buy BlockFi for I think 240 million. Yeah. Which is still way below their original, you know, what I think their last valuation was somewhere up around oh, 4.8, 4 4.8 billion is what it was. Yeah. So have you ever used BlockFi? I have not. It was pretty easy. All I had to do was send over my Ethereum from my Coinbase wallet over to BlockFi, do the KYC, open an account, and I start getting 5% interest on that or whatever it was. It was somewhere around 5%. Yeah. And, but whatever was happening in the background, I don't know. But I mean, obviously with the drop in the values, I don't think anything untoward was going on in the background. I think it was just with the drop in the values of everything, people were just withdrawing. Yeah. And if it gets withdrawn to a level below a certain you know, low watermark, then... There's not much the business can do. Yep. So Sam Bankman-Fried is the CEO of FTX. And 
like I said, kind of stepping in. He's now, and this is in the C- CNBC article, he has an ownership stake in Robinhood. Alameda Research is his business, right? And that is the old school business that he, he started with and then FTX. There's also BitW that he has an ownership stake in as well as Voyager, which is that fund that we just mentioned going yep. into liquidation. And he's extended credit lines to Voyager and also obviously to BlockFi. So I think there's going to be more to come here. Yep. I think this isn't, the end i think you know we're going to see some more run into trouble and you know the way i like to look at this is that just because these big big businesses that are unicorns doesn't mean actually have incredibly well controlled governed product development operations client service you know you start out as a technology company and then you're trying to become a financial institution it's really really hard to do yeah. And it's not just going after the regulation. It's just the internal mindset that people have on, oh, hey, I can just go develop this tech and we'll solve that problem. It's like, no, you can't. You know, there's... Because you forget, you forget from the outside that, like, I'm, I'm looking at trying to work with a company in the space at the moment. And, you know, you forget from the outside that there's an operational entity like there's always an operational entity there somewhere in this scenario in this case it's an irish registered entity you know it has employees it's trying to run a business you know in the background that's where we'd be looking to invest in like that 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 business needs to be run well so i don't know what do you want to call it the cryptopolis doesn't really but it's roll off the tongue too easy it, it, no it's just a bear market it's a bear yeah. market and no, that's like what that. happens it's we it's, it's you know sorting out the what is it the wheat from the chaff or whatever they, they say you know it's probably good and look it's in the context of a wider you know i suppose reckoning for tech companies so like that in some in some of these cases there's probably not much wrong with some of these businesses or there isn't anything wrong with any of these businesses it's just that they were overvalued you know like yeah. I know we were going to mention Klarna and like that was a drop from what 46 billion to six and a half billion for a new funding round nothing wrong with the fundamentals of the business just heavily overvalued and it's just same with Robinhood same with some of the others like yes they might be losing a bit of business or there's a bit of tightening on regulation or whatever but they're still fundamentally good businesses with good users and good user number on, underneath them you know so it's going on everywhere I suppose the point I'm making it is it is and you know the the, the Fed raising rates 75 basis points and then expecting to raise it another 75 basis yep. points isn't making it any easier because for years and years and years it was just cheap money and now it's getting more expensive so yep. You know, those pumping in two, three, four hundred million into a single deal because the cost of capital is is yeah, tiny. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a no brainer because that's the only place you're going to get return. But now, when that interest rate rise not only puts pressure on the investors, but it also puts pressure on the companies as operating operating entities. Like you said, well, that's you it. Know, you, you start to finally see who's actually got a profitable business or a path yeah. to profitability. You know. Because it's the yeah, people like, who've been, and we've talked about it before with Revolut, you know, consistently relying on a further funding round. Yeah, they, so. and and they 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 will keep doing that, you know. And I saw their new their new product today with their card reader. So I think it's enabling them to skip the merchant acquirers, perhaps. Where yeah. okay. if if you've got a Revolut business account, yeah. you can use this Revolut card reader, and that okay, you know for cool. retail payments for point of sale. So and that those payments go direct into your Revolut business account. So they're going down the route that Square have come from. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, my friend. And it makes, I mean, it makes sense as a an angle for them over this side of the world anyway. 
I, I kept, I keep seeing more and more of these examples of, you know, of, of the, the hardware or this yeah. connectivity into in-person and connectivity into in real life. And when I read that bit about Revolut today and the card reader, I thought, okay, here's another one. Yep. And, you know, Stripe are doing a lot, obviously. And with Square, like you mentioned, or Block now, they, they're going to continue to just plow ahead on, on all of that. But it's, can you do this true vertical integration where you can own as much of that payment flow as possible and eliminate the external touch points means you get, you have more control. You have a deeper relationship with the consumer. You have a deeper relationship with the business. You get your little FinTech flywheel going, you know, everyone's happy. Um, You just wonder like when you, when you think it through with some of them, like there's so many of them now kind of competing in numerous different fields with each other. Obviously there's an example of Revolut now going into this space that Square would be in. Obviously, they're in, you know they're encroaching into Stripe's space, but like realistically, if you've already got the customers there, you know you're probably just adding more value to them and you're keeping them. Are Revolut really going to poach customers from Square, for example, or Block in in that scenario at the merchant side at the point of sale, unless they're already poaching Revo- like Revolut customers and they're just adding further features? And, yeah, in, you know, embedding those customers more, maybe. But you, you, you need, find it hard to see people, I suppose, winning customers from each other. Yeah, you need to have a Revolut business account in order to use yeah. this. And I, I've got plenty of experience with that Revolut business account. Yeah. It didn't make me very happy. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't be the first one to jump in and use that. But, you know, I, I'd all of these things happening still are good. Yeah. Seeing new product announcement in the face of what's going on in the financial markets overall and the carnage that's out there, both in traditional financial markets as well as in crypto markets. Seeing the projects, for example, coming out of this Techstars Accelerator that are like, well, we're going to go out and we're going to raise an equity round. We may be thinking about a token round as well, a private sale, but we're going to wait a little bit on that. And they have the opportunity because of the type of business that they're building to do an equity round later on. Some may be able to just do a token round and that's it and wait and just keep things close to the vest for a little while until the markets return. I was talking to someone today who was doing an equity round and a token round today, someone completely outside of the, the, the scope of Techstars. And I said, well, what happens if you're going to raise your A round? You're not going to do your A round until some point next year, but you're planning on doing your token round later this year. What if the markets don't come back to a level? He's like, well, I hadn't really thought about that yet. I'm like, well, yeah. think about that. <laughs> Because you need the markets, the, the, the crypto markets come back to a certain level where people start to feel optimistic again. I will forever be optimistic about yep. crypto, but I, that's just me. So you need the, you know, the bigger, broader crypto investor base at the institutional level, the funds, to really feel comfortable to, to say, well, listen, we're going to start opening up capital again. And, and that's going to take a little while. What's interesting is that some of the consumer, the media plays like I, I talked about, We'll get into one more of those in a second. Was you know the we talked about this at, at Demo Day on stage with Laura Walsh and with Alejandro Gutierrez and Connor Cantwell on how we gotta we won't stop saying NFTs or non fungible tokens because that's just how people see them, but we really gotta define what they are. Digital collectibles. Yep. I mean, during this market, if people are still spending six hundred billion a year on sports, right? There's an opportunity there the because of where, NFTs. Where, where digital collectibles are moving so fast and that they're available in different formats, whether that's pics, whether that's videos, and 
with those being like an access card into metaverse experiences like Big Fan are doing, yeah. all of that stuff's going to continue. And even though the major NFT markets like Bored Apes are down, I don't know, 75% of what they were back in April, there's still some real utility here and new experiences. And that's what people want. They want experiences. Yep. So I, you know, like we we're saying, this is, there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. Yep. I think you got to, you got to pick what you're going to wear. You know, what kind of coat are you going to go into this winter with? And it, is it a little, you know, windbreaker that, you know, isn't going to protect you too much when it gets really shivery? Or are you going to put on the big parka? Now the big parka costs more, right? Than a little yep. windbreaker, but you got to figure it out. I don't know. I like my analogies, you know? <laughs> I'm not sure that one worked. We'll see. We'll see if that one takes off. Hey, everyone. This is Pete. Let me tell you about the folks at Philip Lee. A few years ago, I was at my first venture capital industry dinner in Dublin, and honestly, I felt a bit lost. I bumped into Andrew Tizali, one of the partners at Philip Lee. He bought me a pint and introduced me to the team, and they took me under their wing. That take-you-under-their-wing approach has been what I've heard consistently from fintech and crypto startups who I know have worked with Philip Lee in Dublin and London to help them wrap the right legal framework around their business, fundraising, and regulatory needs. And I can't recommend them enough. Get in touch with the team at philiplee.ie or on moneyneversleeps.ie slash philiplee to learn more. The one I wanted to mention that's in this space is, is Napster. Napster of Sean Parker fame yeah. from the late 90s, early 2000s. Did you ever use Napster? I, you know what, I didn't have a, a computer good enough at home to use Napster, but I used, what was it, LimeWire? I think it yeah. was like a, a further evolution of Napster. Yeah, I would have used LimeWire to download songs and stuff. It was. Now, Napster, you know, hit all the legal troubles. And for those that don't know, Napster allowed you to just do this peer-to-peer -peer music exchange. And it was... I, it, they ran into some trouble. I'll yeah. leave it at that because some of the big artists, especially Metallica, I think Metallica, one of, one of the big ones that gave them the hardest time said, listen, this is piracy. Yeah. This is copyright infringement. You're, you're enabling people to steal music. And so they ran into trouble. I think, I forget who it was that acquired them, but then they ran it, basically ran it into the ground. And then Algorand, the blockchain protocol, ended up buying the rights to it and buying the rights to the name. And they, they, they're bringing it now back to life. Okay. And they're starting a, a music streaming service on Algorand, obviously on a blockchain on one, you know, yep. the, on the Algorand blockchain. And they're now going to be launching a Napster token, okay. which will allow you allow you to to pay for the music streaming services, pay for songs, but also I think pay artists perhaps as well. So that's like twenty two years ago, because yeah. I was using that when I lived in Bermuda, right? And that was in the year two thousand. That was a long time ago. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of, sorry, it makes a lot of sense because we've talked about obviously you know that piece, and I know it was it was at Stacks who were on the Texas program. We had them on the Stakes, podcast. Stakes, yeah. sorry, apologies, Stakes. Yeah, obviously looking at stuff in that space around supporting artists and giving them that ownership and that fan ownership. So I I, I do think it's one of the areas in particular that there's a lot of opportunity to build interesting solutions there. And for someone, you know, I don't know who the winner will be in that space, but specifically on the music rights and royalties and all that. There's definitely a big opportunity there. That makes a lot of sense as a, as a business. We thought that this area was going to be taken over by Block and their kind of title acquisition. And that's what that was yeah. going to end up looking like. I haven't seen any further announcements because I've been keeping an eye out because, again, we kind of were hoping or predicting that that's where that was going to go. So 
I haven't seen any announcements on that, nor have I seen anything from Spotify coming out in the token or NFT space either. Nope. Interesting. You'd think they might've been looking to partner with somebody. Yeah. We, we'd have to think that they're going to ha- they may have to reinvent their tech stack a bit in yeah. order for them to do something. Absolutely. So they may start, you know, it may be an idea to start up a experimental product called Spotify digital or something like that, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And, uh, you know, just try to get something off the ground and see if it sticks. Well, you see if they're cannibalizing first. their existing revenue streams, all that type of stuff, right? Anyone, anyone from Spotify wants to get in touch, happy to chat to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll point them in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for a nominal fee. For a nominal, a nominal fee. fee. Exactly. Yes. So that one, you know, interesting to see that one. They're launching 10 billion Napster tokens. So I'll, I'll keep my eye on this one for you. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And obviously a, a mixed bag of crypto news over the last couple of weeks, but I suppose the interesting one, and I I mean, I haven't read the detail. I'm familiar with where it was going, but obviously it was the Mika regulation, the, which I can't remember what it stands for. Market in crypto assets. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Landmark. So, uh, EU regulation, but it sounds what? Source. Yeah. So it got to the level, and this was just announced on Friday. Yep. In Finextra, the EU reaches agreement on landmark MICA regulation for crypto. And I've heard it pronounced MICA, MICA, and yeah, I think that's it. That's, that's it, how you, yeah. MICA, MICA, yeah. and MICA, MICA. I've heard someone <laughs> say MICA as well. But basically, what happened is that the Council Presidency of the EU and the European Parliament have settled on the, the final draft and saying that crypto asset service providers will require authorization to operate in the EU, but excluding NFTs or media-related digital assets. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Because that should not be in there. No. So they're really targeting financial assets or financial services, really. Exactly. The other thing that was big was that there was a a long discussion and debate about what's called non-hosted wallets, so these are basically like a MetaMask wallet, which is just something you download. It's a piece of technology. You own that wallet virtually. It's yours. There is no service provider behind that. Right. And that you just use that like you would use a leather wallet. And that instead of someone walking up to you and you taking out your wallet and handing them over, you know, 50 euro, it's that you have someone's address for their wallet and you can send them that 50 euro or $50 in stable coins or yeah. whatever the amount is in any other cryptocurrency, you can send that to them directly. So there was a entry point of debate in this regulation that said, we are going to regulate that. I'm like, how the heck can you regulate someone walking yeah. up to someone else and handing them 50 euro or $50? You can't. And do you then start to regulate these technology companies like MetaMask? You can download it on the app store. You say, sorry, you can't download MetaMask on the App Store. And that was really starting to get into some very, very difficult implementation routes. So it's like, all right, that's out, which is great. And then it's if you are a centralized crypto service provider, you need to get authorized and you need to do AML KYC. You need to, I think that the limit was anything over $1,000. You need to be able to track and trace where that's going, yeah. which is fine because the, most of the biggest players are doing that already anyway. So it's, I think we ended up in a, we ended up in a good place on that. 
It's yeah. going to be implemented. I think it will go into law in 2023 and there'll be 18 month implementation period. So a lot more to come on that because I was in the industry, in the financial services industry, when a piece of regulation called the Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive went in. And that was a big piece of work for everybody to do. Yeah. And that was basically regulation on hedge funds. And we knew it was coming for 18 months. All the big four consultants made loads of money with all of their prep programs, all their consulting programs. Not that there's anything wrong with big four. And, you know, it was all, hey, we got to get ready for this new regulation coming. It's the same thing will happen again with Mika. And, you know, it, it, it will go in and hopefully it's going to bring everything to, to another level. But like I said, one of the best things about this is that the media assets have been left out of this because they just don't belong. And people talk about, well, you know, Man United launching digital collectibles and that, you know, they're going to launch them and then the value will drop. And it's like, what, what that's, what's that going to make me do? Right. Is that going to make me go onto OpenSea and make me sell and liquidate my, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo digital collectible? I won't say NFT. I just did. But, you know, yeah. my digital collectible. No, it's not. I want to hold on to Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I actually don't. But my, my son would, Yeah. you know, hold on to my Cristiano Ronaldo digital collectible because he's a fan. So, you know, those things just don't belong in, in, in Mika no. or under regulation. I'm glad they're not there because, you know, I'm gonna there's gonna be a, a situation coming up in the next week or so where i'll be able to be looking at all of my old baseball cards right and if any of those were to be regulated i would just i don't know what i'd do yeah but it, that's the equivalent of of you know trying to put those things into into mika so that was that was a win to see that and i think there was more stories out there that we'll put into the show notes on you know crypto's free reign coming to an end i think it was wired that had that headline and saying that not only in europe but also in the us the us are at kind of some of the beginning stages with some bills yeah. being introduced and there's a lot longer that the us need to go on this so you know the eu setting the benchmark here which is pretty cool to be over here while that's all going on never mind all that other crap going on in that country i came from <laughs> we leave that one alone we will we absolutely will yeah. But yeah, that was that one. Um, I know that our friend Mike Brennan at Finch Capital, shout out to Mike, he's been really helpful to me yeah. today on one thing actually. So again, shout out to Mike. And I know Finch Capital put out a an embedded finance report with Stripe, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, I have it open here. I, I've glanced through it and I need to look at it more. De it's incredibly detailed. In fact, it's by far and away one of the better reports I've seen. So I'm slowly making my way through it and it's great. Aside from anything else, it has some great charts in it, but no, it's really good. It gets heavily, obviously, leaning towards Stripe with examples, but it talks about, obviously, it does a number of kind of industry deep dive, gives it some value to the market investor perspective. Yeah, really, really good, really good detail on embedded finance, something I'm looking at quite closely in a number of different ways at the moment, but it talks about them in different industries like financial services, platforms and marketplaces, travel, hospitality, retail, and e-commerce. So there's lots of different use cases that it talks through, predictions, takeaways, that sort of thing. So yeah, shout out to Mike and the team there at Finch who've done some great work on putting together what is probably one of the better reports out there on, from a European point of view anyway on embedded finance. Yeah, yeah, they're, Finch has really doubled down on this whole area. Yeah, and good bedtime reading. Yes, yeah, Sophie Guibault, who was on the show last year, she's yeah. written a book with, and it will co-authored a book about embedded finance. Yes. 
Shout yeah. out to Sophie. And I haven't picked that up yet, but it is on my list. So, yeah. no, you know. I, 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 I was going to mention it, bring it in then on the back of that. So we obviously, we, we didn't get to chat about Apple and pay later, but that kind of came on the back of, we talked before about their acquisition of Credit Kudos in the UK, which was the mm. UK open banking provider. And then on the 1st of July, Go Cardless, which is, I'm going to read from their website because I'm familiar with them, but at the same time, not familiar with them. Da, 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 da. So GoCardless are a paytech firm. They are acquiring Nordigan, which is a Latvian freemium open banking data provider. So really interesting one. So, so GoCardless are the global leader in direct bank payments and they have acquired, so Nordigan has its connectivity to 2,300, 2,300 banks in 31 countries. And it's bringing, GoCardless is bringing it all into its account account network. So it's free open banking connectivity at scale, which is you know, another huge investment in the, there's no, there was no price announced on that, but I'd imagine it was quite a considerable deal. But it's another big flag being planted in the open banking space. And I had a really good conversation with a mutual friend of ours this morning around open banking in the UK. And he talked about the fact that, you know, Nordigan was kind of disrupting some of the other players in the market because it was offering everything for free. Yeah. But like that, it, it's its range of connectivity was better than most other players. So that's obviously a big, big deal for Go Cardless. But the latest data out of the open banking, the OBIE, which I can't remember what the I and the E stand for, but it's, it's the UK entity that kind of runs the open banking or manages everything related to open banking in the UK. They were talking about the fact that, you know, it took them nearly 18 months to get to kind of two to two or three million people using open banking and now they're at six million and it only it only took four months to go from five to six million or from four to six million, I think it was. A very short space of time to get more and more people now using open banking, understanding it, trusting it, and now allowing it to be used in more kind of financial services products that they're trying to get access to. So you know, clearly there's a lot more growth to go there in the UK alone, but more broadly across Europe then. So, yep, I know it, it, it's the way it's all going. It's the way it's all going. It, it's yep. like open banking for me and having a bank account number. And if there's a bank account number, then you have a, there, there is access to data that you can grant to others. Yep. Just like on Etherscan, if you have a crypto address, you have an Ethereum address, you can go look and see the transaction data on Etherscan. So can everybody else. And it, there is no permission uh, and, uh, required, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, that's the way this is all going. Yeah. It gives rise to what I, I've seen referred to in other places as cash flow underwriting. But ultimately, it's underwriting people on their transaction history, live transaction history, yeah. as opposed to your typical credit score model that you'd get from, you know, an Equifax or an Experian or one of these. So, you know, it opens up far more opportunities because obviously we're seeing the, the, the blowback now on the buy now pay later companies and the defaults rising and the regulation coming because obviously they weren't underwriting they weren't underwriting any of the loans and they weren't necessarily reporting them to credit bureaus so people's loans are like debt was being run up and it wasn't being factored in then on you know a normal underwriting process but you know that's just one example of where open banking will make a huge difference the ability to really understand your customer and their transaction history and the good bad indifferent of what they spend their money on provides huge amount of huge opportunities in terms of providing a better service to your customers mm -hmm. it's all there it's all there and I'm, I'm i'm looking at my chart here of the nine companies in the accelerator yep. and thinking about obviously the DeFi ones being xx your diamonds and Securo Finance, obviously, you know, thinking about DeFi analogously to fintech, when you look at a, you know, 
a financial marketplace or an, an emerging market economy, which is the example I gave. And then when you think about the others that are in gaming and metaverse and media, like mega fans, big fan, live duel, crowd class in the creator economy, barter chain in the creator economy, stakes, that a lot of this is embedded finance. That's yeah, what it is. Degree, yeah. Is that you're in, and and I got to talk to Sophie about this. I got to talk to 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 Finch about this because yeah. there there is a nice parallel there. Yep. Because you are embedding finance into these consumer apps that are doing other things. Yep. So keeping an eye and staying close to where this all came from for me, for you yep. in terms of fintech, absolutely critical. Yes. Cool. Yeah, there we go. And, Anything else to, to riff on this fine evening? No, I've a couple of really interesting projects I'm working on at the moment. A couple of interesting other side projects I'm looking at as well. So plenty to keep me busy. No, I, I suppose I'm looking more closely at lending from, I suppose, in terms of the day job and a few other things. But yeah, really kind of getting up to speed on open banking and what's going on across in the UK and across Europe. I had a real, like I said, a deep dive this morning with a good friend of ours, um, who kind of really kind of opened my eyes to some of the opportunities and some of the stuff going on there. I've always kind of had lending in the background in terms of other jobs, so it's always something I've kept an eye on. So, yeah, trying to see about doing a bit more in that space. Good. And where that leads Good. to. So, yeah, but that's me. All right. Well, speaking of being busy, obviously, this is the summer. Yep. And we haven't done this before, but we are going to do it. Yep. Now, we are going to move to monthly for the summer. And obviously, we didn't have an episode the last two weeks with all the demo day prep going on for me. Yep. And But we'll have this episode for July. We'll have an August episode. And then we'll be back on a weekly cadence yes. in September. So everybody, enjoy your summer. Absolutely. We will check in midpoint we'll to see how everybody's in, yep. doing. And then, like I said, we will be back in full swing come September of this yep. year. So listen... I'm going to say sayonara for this evening, Owen. Adios, amigo. That does it for this week, folks. You can learn more about the stories we covered in the show notes on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early-stage startup investor and advisor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3. If you'd like to talk to me about your business, drop me a line on info at moneyneversleeps.ie. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya.